When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the next best thing to watching people play football? It's watching people talk about playing football. Before we get to the football season, it's talking season. SEC Media Day is the first of four days in Nashville as the premier conference in college football takes center stage. Welcome into College Football Live. I'm Matt Schick alongside a couple of premier analysts, Roman Harper and Greg McElroy, who could not be sitting any more closer together. More on that in a moment. They'll be getting to know each other very, very well. Uh, Storylines permeating this conference, fellas. And it's a long litany list. Where do we start? How about the fact that why is it the premier conference? They win. No league has been more dominant, winning 13 of the last 17 national championships, including the last four straight. That's the second longest streak by any league in the AP poll era, trailing only itself seven straight from 06 to 12. Georgia looking to win three straight national championships, trying to become the first team to three-peat in the AP poll era. The road to Atlanta, a gauntlet once again, with half the conference ranked in the top 20 in ESPN Analytics FPI. Alabama, Georgia, LSU all find themselves in the top five entering the season. According to ESPN Analytics, it's actually Ohio State that has the best chance to win the national title, but the SEC is right behind with Alabama and Georgia, as well as future SEC member Texas and they're followed by LSU all right let's see if you guys agree with the computers Roman we'll start with you will this year's national champion come from the SEC once again the most talented team in college football is Ohio State but yes the national championship will come from the SEC the best teams compete and by the end of the year when you have great games and great competition it leads you to the ability to be able to win games late in the fourth quarter when it matters the most. That is the difference between the SEC and every other conference is that the competition that you get week in and week out prepares you for the biggest moments on the biggest scenes like winning a national championship is what we're looking at right now. I think there's just more contenders so you have a little wider net if you're the <laughs> SEC. Grady, you Too look true. historically speaking, the Big Ten is arguably if, if they're 1B to the SEC's 1A, it's not a real wide gap, but you really have two national championship contenders the last couple of years with Michigan and yep. with Ohio State. Obviously, Michigan last year coming up just a little bit short, and I think Ohio State, they were legitimately one play away. They make the field goal against Georgia. I'll roll the dice in making this assumption. They would have won the national championship, but they have Bama. Georgia, LSU, I think Tennessee continues to be really good. And there's some sleeper teams, too, that are going to be real, real solid in the SEC as well, like Texas A&M and Ole Miss as well. So I think there's a bunch of teams that really could compete at the top of college football. So if given the opportunity to 14 playoff, yeah, I would, I would pick the SEC against the field. When we go to, you mentioned the Big Ten, you probably go Ohio State, Michigan, once again, Penn State probably going to be mentioned as a, as a college football playoff contender. There's three, and I don't think anyone would argue there's many more than that. What about in the SEC? How many legitimate national championship contenders are there in this league, GMAC? Well, I, I kind of just listed off four that I think are legitimate. Part of that has to do with I know that LSU could do it. They did it three years ago. I know Georgia can. They've done it the last two, and Bam has done it consistently for the last 15. Bam is going to be in the mix. LSU is going to be in the mix, and we know Georgia will be too, just based on what their schedule looks like right now. They'll be a heavy favorite in every single game. Here's the one question that I have, though. Can Tennessee close the gap? Because I know that the Big Ten, I think personally, the Big Ten has two national championship contenders. I'm not quite there yet with Penn State, really talented roster, but there are questions to me at the quarterback position. But I do think Ohio State and Michigan have 
definite chance of getting there and potentially getting over the top. Whereas in the SEC, you have at least three, potentially four, if you want to add Tennessee into the yeah. same group that I would put Penn State in as well. Yeah, I, I would add Tennessee. I, I have the same team, the same three at the top. I would say Tennessee because the Georgia game is at Tennessee this year. So if they have the ability to get in, you know, beat Georgia, then get into the SEC championship, win the SEC championship, it is a road for Tennessee to get into the playoffs and give themselves a chance because we all know with that offense, they're going to score against anybody. All they need is two or three turnovers, and they win that game versus anybody in college football right now with the way Josh Heupel has that offense rolling. Well, one of the things, guys, that really makes this season even more intriguing is in the SEC, schools like Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama having to replace their predominant starting quarterbacks. In fact, for the first time in league history, we had two SEC QBs among the top four players taken in the NFL draft. Bryce Young, number one. Anthony Richardson, number four overall. Will Levis, Stetson Bennett, Hennon Hooker. Five quarterbacks from the SEC taken in the draft. Here's Ryan McGee on the changing faces under center. In 2022, the SEC was packed with returning proven QBs behind center. Okay, sure, they were mostly in the shotgun or on the move, but you get my point. This season, figuring out who will be running point for SEC offenses will indeed be a moving target. Young, Richardson, Levis, Hooker, Bennett, all were drafted. So now their teams are seeking to establish new snap takers. And so are so many others. Tide, Gators, Cats, Vols, Dogs, Doors, Aggies, and two sets of Tigers. Meanwhile, Ole Miss might have too many QBs to choose from. Heck, everyone kind of does, because just when we think we have finally figured out which field generals are on what roster where, another guy pops up out of the transfer portal, and we're like, oh, okay, so he's here now and no longer there? But no matter how many QBs might be on a roster, even those with seemingly definite starters in place atop the depth chart, see Jaden Daniels, Will Rogers, Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, and KJ Jefferson. One only need to look to last year to recognize the perpetual perils of life in the pocket. C, Young, Hooker, Levis, and yeah, KJ Jefferson. To know that QB2 and QB3 also need to be ready to become QB1, just in case. Uh, just means more quarterback competitions. You got youngsters in Georgia. All they have to do at Alabama is replace a Heisman Trophy winner. No big deal there. Some transfers competing at Florida, Auburn, and Ole Miss. GMAC, which quarterback competition in the SEC intrigues you the most? It's Alabama, Matt, and, and it's partly because it's a three-horse race at this point, and all three of the horses have very different skill sets. Jalen Milrow is going to be the athlete at the position. The guy can flat-out fly. He's the fastest guy and the most explosive guy on the roster the last couple years. Tyler Buckner's a little bit of a blend, can play from the pocket, also has some athleticism, but really wants to become more of a throw-first type of player as he continues to progress. And then Ty Simpson who's the guy that's going to operate mostly from within the pocket but is really accurate when his feet are set and has a good understanding of what they want to be offensively and how he could work his way into the offense. So I think just the fact that you have so much variety amongst the three options makes it probably the most intriguing for me at this point of the competition. For me, I'm going to go with the other three-headed horse, and that is Ole Miss with Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, and Walker Howard. So, And that's because I think this is the most intriguing because – all three of these guys, or not Walker Howard, but the other two, have started games. These guys have actually put up numbers. They've played. They've been successful. They've been through the battles. And so whenever you get battle-tested quarterbacks, the competition only gets better. And so now it's going to come down to the finer, minute details of who gets us in and out of the huddle better. Who takes care of the football best? Who's better in the situational football? And now bringing in Lane Kiffin and his brilliance that now who's the most efficient running our offense the best we can? We got great options, three of them. But which one at the end gets us in the best position all the time? I love what Ole Miss, it's a great problem to have when you got three quarterbacks with that much experience. And all three of them former transfers. Jackson Dart started his career at USC yeah. uh, as well. And you mentioned battle tested. Tulane, Alabama, LSU in the first five weeks. One of them is going to get pretty tested early on. All right, uh, guys, GMAC, which competition at quarterback concerns you the most? 
It has to be Florida at this point, Matt. And uh, part of it has to do with supporting cast. I think Florida has an excellent lead receiver, but beyond their top guy and Ricky Pearsaw, there are some questions. It's kind of the lesser of a couple evils right now. Graham Mertz, three-year starter at Wisconsin, but never finished in the top six in the Big Ten in quarterback rating. And then Jack Miller, a guy that really looked like a fish out of water in the Las Vegas Bowl against Oregon State. Now, that was an impossible situation to be thrust into. Florida had clearly thrown in the towel going into that game. So I don't know if it was a fair representation of what he could do. But both guys have left something to be desired on college football field up to this point. But I am cautiously optimistic, Matt. We'll find the silver lining since it is July. I'm cautiously optimistic about what Graham Mertz could be because he's got a ton of talent. Now it's just about understanding how to fit within Billy Napier's run-first style of offense. Well, it's funny because I picked Florida to lose that game as my lock guaranteed <laughs> last year in the bowl game because of the situations that they had going on. So you're dead right. Jack Miller had no chance. But my most concerning quarterback competition is actually Alabama because what I talked about last time, the opposite of Ole Miss is that they don't have the big game experience. Yes, Ty Simpson could be that guy, but he hasn't really played in when it counts the most. Jalen Milrow, he did play, but man, he had five out of what, 16 offensive turnovers, right, Greg? So he's not taking care of the football. Tyler Buckner, he was good, never great. And so whenever you have these situations come in where now Alabama has these expectations where the quarterback is so important and it's not just about being an okay or just good enough quarterback, but the quarterback that's going to win you the game in the fourth quarter because versus LSU, it's going to be a four-quarter game. Versus Auburn on the road, it's going to be a fourth-quarter game. Are any of these quarterbacks that guy right now? No. But you still have a season just like us, it's just talking season. We're going to build our way up to the when it really matters. You mentioned Tyler Buckner. He's good, never great. Hasn't really played. Just three games in the last 20 months. Missed 10 last yeah. year. You sparingly in 2021. Senior season in 2020 canceled in high school because of COVID. Just want to see him, see if he can get on the field and stay yeah. on the field there for Alabama. All right, coming up on College Football Live, LSU flew under the radar last year on their way to the SEC Championship. Are we seeing a changing of the guard in the SEC West? We'll discuss. And after a forgettable 2022 season, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies shook things up a bit. Will a change in the play calling help fuel that Aggie resurgence? He's a Heisman hopeful, and LSU is hopeful he lives up to the hype. Jane Daniels helped deliver LSU its biggest win of last season against Alabama. An overtime thriller on the way to an SEC West crown. Here's Ryan McGee on the rivalry that could be better than ever. Remember way back in the day, like, you know, a year ago, when we were all writing our eulogies about LSU-Bama and what it used to be? the once epic SEC West clash that annually altered the landscape of the conference and the entire college football universe was moving on to be replaced by Bama versus A&M or Bama versus Ole Miss or take your pick. Uh, yeah, it turns out the reports of their game's demise were greatly exaggerated. Last year's Clash of the Titans came down to a game-winning, guts-powered two-point conversion. Kelly says we're going for two, and the dub. Daniels for the win. Caught. It's good. Tigers win. Tigers win. Wow. Suddenly, the coach we've been making fun of for his fake Southern accent. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family was in the Southeastern Conference title game. And Bama, not to mention everyone else, had been served notice that the first weekend in November is back to being written in permanent marker. And LSU Bama is back to being a centerpiece of that college football universe. Year two for the guy with the accent and year 17 for the guy with all the rings. Thank you, Ryan. Brian Kelly enters year two in Baton Rouge after a stellar first campaign became the third head coach 
to lead a team to the SEC championship game in just his first season in the conference. The Bayou Bengals return 81% of their offensive production, including starting quarterback Jaden Daniels. Among QBs returning to the SEC this season, had the second highest QBR last year behind only Arkansas's KJ Jefferson. On the other side of the ball, the Tigers return one of the most disruptive players in the league in Harold Perkins Jr. Here's his head coach on closing the gap with UGA. You know, it's 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 a measurement of um, you know for everybody in here to see it on the field, right? That's that's how everybody measures is the gap closing. Um, you know, what's the score of the game? What's the eye test tell me? What's the competitiveness of that game? Um, we'll only have that opportunity if we get into the championship game against, against Georgia. Um, I know that based upon how we've recruited and how we'll continue to recruit, um, that we'll have um, a football roster that, that will be able to compete against Georgia. Is that right now? No, it's not. But if we continue to do what we're doing, we're going to have a roster that can compete against Georgia, and then it's just a matter of getting it done on, on, the, on the playing field so everybody then can assess they've closed the gap. They hope to end with Georgia. They'll begin against Florida State, a team that beat them by a point to open last season. The trip to Tuscaloosa looming in November – Thank goodness for that bye week after Army and before the tilt with the tide. According to ESPN's FPI, it's the 15th most challenging schedule in the country. Back with Roman Harper and Greg McElroy. Remember last year, the SEC preseason media poll picked LSU to finish fifth in the West? Nailed it. So let's go back to the media here, uh, Roman. You're a member of us. Uh, where are they finishing here? Are they the team to beat in the West? Oh, man, thanks for reminding me. I'm on team of the dark side. Um, but, yes, they are the team to beat in the West. Now, when I say that because they won the champion, the SEC West, last year, they earned that. But when you earn that right, it comes with certain responsibilities, and that is the target is now on your back. We saw LSU lose to Florida State early in the season last year, and then all of a sudden everybody put them to the side. Nobody saw them coming. And then all of a sudden they showed up and they beat Alabama in Tiger Stadium. And then watch out. Now everybody had a, now they had the target on their back and LSU did not look the same after that big Alabama win. So knowing all those things, I want to see which LSU team is going to show up all year long. Is it the one that flies under the radar and can kind of just get by cruising or is the one with the targets on their back and they did not show up in those times? I want to see the best version of LSU like you do, I'm sure, too, Greg. Uh, I think you can make a strong case that they have as good a roster as anybody in the SEC West. They arguably have the best quarterback. They could have the best wide receiver core, perhaps. Maybe the best offensive line. Maybe the best two defensive players in the entire conference in Mason Smith and Harold Perkins. So they have all those things. But the problem is what they don't have is a clearly established culture of consistency. Even last year in winning the SEC West, there were remarkable moments of inconsistency. This was a team that was down 17-0 to Auburn. This is a team that lost badly against Tennessee, a team that got smoked in the final game of the regular season against Texas A&M, a Texas A&M team that went 5-7. and seven. We called six of their games last year. I saw LSU almost every other week for the entire season, and the growth was truly remarkable. Brian Kelly is an absolute machine when it comes to getting the most out of his team. But in order to repeat as West champs, the bar now has to be raised even more mm-hmm. significantly than it was last year. And they have to go to Tuscaloosa, where you know Bama's had that game circled for the better part of the last 12 months. As mentioned, Mason Smith played five snaps last season on that defensive front, torn ACL. He's back. Omar Spates transferred from Oregon State. So they check a lot of boxes there mm-hmm. on defense, and they check the box at quarterback, too. This is just the maturation of a quarterback that is feeling more comfortable in a new offense. And here's your one moment to be a hero, Jaden Daniels. Daniels for the win. It's gone. LSU does it. Ooh, was that smooth and easy. Jaden Daniels said, we're going to make you pay. Daniels in space. Who scores? This is what he can do at his best. The wheels for Jaden Daniels. Playing his best football right now. Straight ahead. It looks like Jaden Daniels having fun, right? 
Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to watch him. Jane Daniels coming off a season where he passed for just under 3,000 yards, rushed for 800. In the last 20 seasons, only five SEC quarterbacks have had a season reaching those marks. Daniels in some good company. Joining Dak Prescott, Johnny Manziel, and Tim Tebow. Here's the LSU QB and BK. Coach Kelly, he, he asks a lot from, your quarter, from his quarterbacks. Uh, he demands a lot. You have to be very intelligent. Um, to go out there and pick up his offense um, and really trying to hone in on what, he, what he's asking the quarterback to do. He coaches me very hard because he knows uh, how great he, I could be and the standard that he holds me to. Um, so, you know, I'm very appreciative. And, and I think that that's what we saw during the year was his natural progression of understanding the offense and being more confident. We want to see that in year two. We want to see that confident that, that we saw at the end of the year continue to show itself uh, right through the first uh, game against Florida State. Well, Brian Kelly wants to see in year two. Greg McElroy, start with you. What do you expect to see in year two? expect to see him pick up right where he left off uh, if you look at what he was at the beginning of the year I don't think he was super comfortable within the offensive scheme I don't think he understood the progressions instead he was dropping back and the second he saw a vacancy in the defense he was taking off and trying to play Superman football meaning he was doing it all himself as the season went along he became more willing to distribute he became more comfortable going through his reads he became more willing as he escaped the pocket instead of taking off and running he would keep his eyes downfield and would deliver for a big play downfield that's when the big plays happen so I expect him to be more comfortable more confident have a better rapport and a better chemistry with all the additional players that will be taking the field with him on the offensive side of the ball so I'm expecting huge things from Jaden Daniels this year and I think he'd be the guy I'd pick if I could take anybody in the SEC going into the season. And so I, I agree with exactly what Greg said, the growth and maturation of him. Greg watched them all year long. But I will not, I would be remiss if I gave Jaden Daniels all the credit here because he has gotten better because his room has gotten better. This backup quarterback, Garrett Nussmeyer, when I say competition, iron sharpens iron, that is the reason why. Garrett Nussmeyer has been able, has the ability to do different things than Jaden Daniels. So when they practice together, Garrett Nussmeyer attempts different things. He sees different things. And sometimes you learn way more from the sidelines or from your counterparts than you ever do from your own self. So the improvement of Garrett Nussmeyer has allowed the improvement and has forced the improvement of Jaden Daniels on his side because he still wants to be that guy, QB number one. And so his game has risen. And so that is why LSU has such a chance at winning the SEC West again is because of the play of both of their quarterbacks. And that is where the improvement really is at. It's not only Jaden Daniels taking upon himself, but Garrett Nussmeyer as well pushing him to the top of the uh, top of that room. Yeah, there's a lot of offseason chatter after last season. Is Garrett Nussmeyer going to transfer? He decides to stick, and apparently they get along great. Yeah. Daniel's saying, I, I love him. We yeah. get along great, and I look forward to watching him next season. <laughs> not, not this season. This is Jane Daniels' show here with the Tigers. The <laughs> LSU very happy, and Kate. Yes, LSU very happy to have two capable QBs. Up next, are we happy with eight? They say it just means more, but why not more conference games? Debate it next. Media days, the unofficial start of the college football season. SEC media days in Nashville, day one of four. LSU, AM, Missouri taking the podium today. Tennessee won't be in town until Thursday. No doubt they'll be asked about the news they made on Friday when the school received its penalties from the NCAA, including being placed on five years probation, an $8 million fine, and a total reduction of 28 scholarships stemming from more than 200 infractions under former head coach Jeremy Pruitt, including charges of impermissible benefits with both Pruitt and his wife making cash payments to players' families. Roman Harper, Greg McElroy. Roman, start with you. What's the impact of these penalties for Tennessee? Well, it's not going to be felt immediately on this year's roster. I went through a similar situation when I was on the campus of University of Alabama, getting put on probation, losing scholarships. It doesn't affect the roster right now. But in year two and three of this whole operation, you start to see the linemen, the offensive linemen, the linebackers, the D linemen, those areas start to get thin really fast because it's hard to keep 
keep up recruiting with big guys when there's not enough of them out there. Look, it's not a lot of dinosaurs walking around anymore. These are grown human dinosaurs with the size they are. You just don't find them on trees. So that is where it would start to affect Tennessee in the next two or three years. I think it. I think it's a much ado about nothing. I, I, to me, well, eight eight million dollar fine. That's a big number. I, I understand that. In addition to legal fees, I understand that. That's going to be. Uh, an issue, but not for the football program. The trickle-down effect is going to be felt on the non-revenue-generating sports. That's why it frustrates me. The other thing I look at it, too, is they didn't do a bowl ban, which I think is the appropriate decision. <laughs> I mean, if you ban a team from a bowl game, are you penalizing the current players that had nothing to do with what happened several years ago? That's exactly what you're doing. So I'm glad they avoided that. And then I think the six-year show cause for Jeremy Pruitt just feels aggressive. It feels like an awful lot. One year mm -hmm. suspension to carry with it as well. He's 50 years older, so maybe only has 16, 17, 18 years left. You're basically taking away a third of his ability to be able to I gotta generate an opportunity for himself. I Look, I know that he made a mistake, but NIL, now everybody's getting paid. So I, I just feel like the penalties against him specifically were harsh, and that I didn't necessarily like the fact that the number and the penalty was that significant to Tennessee football because it's going to be felt in other areas of their athletic department. That's a great they question. They can afford it. Yeah, well, nothing a collective can't fix, right? But uh, <laughs> certainly the $8 million, where does that come from and all that? Uh, just a drop in the bucket for a lot of these programs for sure, but not penalizing players of the past or players currently for what happened in the past, probably a good move. A Tennessee, one of 12 SEC schools to replace at least one coordinator. Joey Halsley, elevated from QB coach to offensive coordinator, replacing Alex Golish, who left for the head coaching job at South Florida. Todd Munkin off to the NFL. Georgia will return to a familiar face in Mike Bobo to take his spot. Then in College Station, Jimbo Fisher brings in a pair of former Power 5 head coaches in Bobby Petrino and DJ Durkin. Four schools are replacing both coordinators, including Alabama. Greg, which new coordinator will have the biggest impact this season? It's Bobby Petrino, and it's partly because Jimbo Fisher, and we don't know this for sure, but we've been told he's going completely hands-off. And Bobby Petrino, the last couple years at Missouri State, just check him out what he did last year, put a bunch of points up against Arkansas, better off at the performance than the Aggies had against the Hogs, I might add. Bobby Petrino, at one point, was considered the second-best head coach in the SEC. This was back in 2011, so it's been a while, but that's how well-respected this guy is amongst his peers. He can score a ton of points, and he's done it a bunch of different ways. It's been traditional in a run set it setting it's also been more air raid vertical passing attack and he did it with Lamar Jackson at Louisville six seven years ago and route to a Heisman Trophy so I think Bobby Petrino is one of the best offensive minds of this generation and him now being able to work with what should be an extremely talented supporting cast could make for a really interesting recipe for the Aggies offense I'm going to go with one name that not everybody's talking about and that is Hugh Freeze hiring Philip Montgomery at Auburn. Look, Philip Montgomery's put up real numbers. He won the Art Browse Award for the best coordinator in the country in 2013. Not under RG3, but Bryce Petty at Baylor. And then head coach at Tulsa, where they put up big-time numbers offensively all the time, every all eight years that he was there. Philip Montgomery, I know it's Hugh Freeze, and everybody's going to talk about Hugh Freeze's offense, but the hiring of Philip Montgomery cannot go understated for how important that is. Also, another one that nobody's talking about is actually hiring Travis Williams at Arkansas to replace Barry Odom. Arkansas has plenty of firepower on the offensive side of the football, but defensively, if they get that side of the ball squared away with their tackling better in space, creating more turnovers, not as giving up as many big plays on the back end of the defense, that team right there could really upset some teams, and I could see them with an 8-9 win, maybe 10-win season if the defense is better at Arkansas. You see that graphic. Only seven teams in the FBS allowed more yards per game last season than Arkansas. Well, changes in coordinators, no changes in the schedule. The SEC voting earlier this year to remain at eight conference games for the 2024 season when Texas and OU come on board. There had been a proposal to increase to nine, likely with three permanent opponents, six rotating opponents. This will be the last year divisions in the SEC. Here's Greg Sankey on sticking with eight league games. I really think our eight game schedule is pretty remarkable. Like when we were going through the final filtering, you'd say, wow, you know, schedule A is tough. 
and then you'd like be at schedule G and you're like, wow, that school's got a tough schedule. And all the way through, there are 16 really challenging schedules. But there are some important, um, we'll call them rivalry games. And we're gonna have to have a decision about do we play those every year or do we play some of them every other year? In the eight game format, we can protect one on an annual basis and the other seven rotate. Uh, in the nine game format, we know we can protect up to three, rotate the other six and achieve both that fairness and that balance issue. And that'll be right in front of us again. 14 teams this year, 16 next year. Is eight enough, Roman? Eight conference games moving forward? It will be for next year because we don't have to, I mean, we don't have to worry about it. We got all of the secondary uh, rivalry games that Greg Sankey was just referring to. We got them on the schedule, so it covers it. But you're talking about not going to nine. You're going to miss out on Georgia versus Auburn, Florida versus LSU. Alabama versus Tennessee, the secondary rivalry games, which has made this conference so special and so competitive. If you don't move it to nine, you will miss out. Georgia versus Auburn, the longest rivalry in college in the, in the South. That is what we're talking about here. So these games really matter. And if they do not, we understand we'll appease it. We scratch that it's next year because nobody's going to feel it. But the moment is not there. Everybody's going to be standing there with their hands up like mad, just like every other SEC. You know, that's what they do in the SEC. It's just what it do. People complain. It's easy to it's easy to point at and say, well, they're playing eight when everyone else is going to nine. That's yeah. why I think ultimately the SEC needs to at some point move to a nine game schedule. That right now, you can leave no doubt with your own conference's supremacy if you adopt the most difficult regular season schedule in all of college football. And they can do that by adding eight additional games. That's two games for, or that's a game for every team. Obviously match it up 16 divided by two, that would be eight. So I think ultimately that's where they're going to get. I do want to protect the rivalries. I acknowledge that. And I'm glad that they didn't force it too early. There's still a few too many things. There's still too many contracts with non-conference teams that they would have to buy out and that just wasn't worth it at this point. But I would be shocked if in two or three years the SEC hasn't adopted a nine-game schedule to protect those three permanent opponents and protect those rivalries that Roman alluded to. Try to find a way to play at least play it everyone at least twice over a four-year period. Every league should do it. It doesn't seem like it's that difficult but you're trying to protect your league, protect teams from adding losses. So certainly a problem that uh, we don't have. We just get to complain about. Coming up next on College Football Live, the home of the 12th man ready to put the 2022 season behind them. Is it Bobby Petrino to the rescue? Bill Fisher arrived in Nashville today with much less fanfare than a handful of years ago when he first came to College Station. The pressure is ratcheting up to live up to that contract. Then after the worst season of his head coaching career, they went 5-7, and seven, failing to be bowl eligible for the first time since 2008. He hasn't had consecutive losing seasons in his head coaching career. The Aggies have some questions at quarterback. Junior Max Johnson facing competition with sophomore Connor Wegman. Johnson started three games last season. Wegman picked up four starts in his freshman campaign. Whoever's under center will be glad wide out. Anaya Smith is back in the mix for the Aggies offense. Smith was the Aggies leading receiver before suffering a season ending injury. Here's Jimbo. I love the leadership of our football team and there's quite a few number of guys that have done it. And I think a lot of guys coming back for fourth and fifth years which you don't have a lot. They, you know, some guys got banged up and came back for those situations that are doing a great job of setting examples of what things are doing. And we're around when we went, you know, we went to the Orange Bowl, won the Orange Bowl, we're number the four team in the country, had a chance to be in the playoff, all that. Guys that were on that team are productive in that team. And I think that part of it has me excited. And I think that's a key to it. It's just not what we say and how we do. We can adjust scheme. We can adjust that. But how they practice, how they go about things, how they do everything, and they're, all the little things they do away from ball, on, the, on their own time, whether they're seven-on-sevens, whether they're walkthroughs, all those types of things, and the film watching, all those, that those guys can 
lead and do that have you know I think that's the difference in your great teams and your average teams and I think that creates within the culture and I think we got a really good leadership group coming back uh, you know getting McKinley come back getting Anais come back getting Max Wright to come back I mean there's a ton of guys in that group that, that came back Layton Robinson's a huge one up front I and mean, all those guys and I think it makes a big difference and I think that's what's got me excited about it. Texas A&M ranked sixth in the preseason AP poll last year and went five and seven. That was tied for the third worst record for a preseason top six team in the last 40 seasons. The Aggies, tough road in 23, trip to Miami in week two. They host Alabama on October 7th, travel to Tennessee and LSU later in the season. Back here, Roman Harper and Greg McElroy. I'm Matt Schick. G-Mac, what are expectations, reasonable expectations for the Aggies here? Big bounce back season, Matt. Uh, you look at last year, and we have a difficult time separating the excitement that you get from a recruiting class from your expectations that you have coming into the season. Everyone looked at what they signed in February and December last year and said, man, well, they're going to be legit. The problem is all those guys that are legit in that signing class are 18 and 19 years old. They weren't ready to shoulder the load and the burden of expectations. So as a result, they crumbled. Now, a lot of young guys got a ton of playing time last year, and they have guys that are coming back that have been issued a significant challenge in an effort to ramp up their play drastically. They really struggled offensively. That's why Bobby Petrino was brought in. But they also struggled mightily on the defensive side. Way too many guys playing out of their gaps. Way too many guys improvising and not playing within the structure of the scheme. That all comes with getting more mature. That all comes with playing. And that all comes with being unselfish. And I think they battled that some last year, but a newfound focus appears to be instilled in every single one of those players heading into 23. Look, it's the same thing in NFL terms, and you know it too, Greg, is that when you get the money, then you get the expectations and the responsibility of what to do when you get it. And so Jimbo got the, the big check to come to Texas A&M. He had to code the recruiting classes since he's been there. All top five, top seven recruiting classes. So the expectations come with that, that they want wins right now. Return on investment is what they call it. And right now, Texas A&M is not giving them the amount of return on their investments they want. And yes, you need eight wins is not might, might not even be enough. And yes, Bobby Petrino coming in and helping the offense, give it a shot in the arm. We're looking forward to seeing what it does. They have weapons. They have great talent on all three levels, on all on, on both sides of the football. But it's all about wins and losses. I don't know how many games Texas A&M wins because it is a trait prove-it mode for me. I'm from Missouri. As far as Texas is concerned, you're going to have to show me. <laughs> uh, you say you don't know. We have over-unders coming up later, so figure it out uh, between now and then. That's coming up with the season <laughs> win totals for Texas A&M. Uh, their season this year, their schedule, pretty tough. Uh, their 2024 schedule will feature one former longtime rival in the Texas Longhorns. Texas and OU headed to the SEC after this season. Two new additions. The Red River rivalry soon becomes an SEC showdown. Here's Greg Sankey on the upcoming expansion for the league. When I was here in Atlanta last year, I was clear that we're focused on our growth to 16. And I've watched others' message about we're not done yet. I referenced this. We're going to go to this particular reason. I just don't think that's healthy. Um, people could criticize me to say, wow, you really sprung it on people in 21, which, which we did. Um, and maybe there's no clean and perfect way to deal with conference membership. It's not been a topic in the Southeastern Conference other than providing updates. So we're very attentive to what's happening around us. Uh, whether those are from all of your fine investigative writing or maybe opinions, and then focusing on our growth to 16 because it's an enormous task. And, and so that's my view. Do I think it's done? Um, people will say, well, I get to decide that. Right now it appears others are going to decide that before we have to make any decisions. And so my view is we know who we are. We're comfortable as a league. We're focused on our growth to 16. We've restored rivalries. We're geographically contiguous with the right kind of philosophical alignment. And we can stay at that level of super conference. When you go bigger, there are a whole other set of factors that have to be considered. And I'm not sure I've seen those teased out other than in my mind late at night. The era of super conference uh, does arrive next season. What is the impact of these additions? Uh, Texas and OU next year. Roman, start with you. 
I think it makes you championship proof and not so much just in football and other sports as well. Texas is a great baseball program. Oklahoma, we all know about women's softball and all that things that value that they add. So, yes, it just opens it up, brings in another great rivalry in college football between Oklahoma and Texas. And also the two, you know, two out of the top ten biggest brands as well are now coming into the SEC. It really just does that. It adds so much value branding and all these other deals I'm not even talking about on the field yet we'll get to that I actually let my quarterback over here my man Greg <laughs> he'll let you know all the football value that they're bringing I don't know if I necessarily know the football value I'm from Dallas Fort Worth I've been to <laughs> I've been to 10 literally 10 Red River rivalry games nine as a fan one as a broadcaster and to me it is the bedrock of why I love college football. Yeah. My dad took me to watch Ricky Williams in 1998, and I was obsessed with the game ever since. So them coming into a league that I'm remarkably familiar with is something that I'm extremely excited about. And the renewal of rivalries, I think, as much as anything else. Yes, everyone's going to talk about Texas and Texas A&M, them teeing it up and the importance there. How about Texas, Arkansas? Yeah, big Those one. two yeah. teams hate each other more than anything. How about Oklahoma, Missouri? Yep. Those two have been a rival for quite a while. So I think being able to bring back some rivalry games that I grew up with, rivalry games that we all grew up with, is something that I'm really excited about. So I think it's a just a natural and perfect addition to an already great league. I think it would be wise for Texas and Oklahoma to win a lot of games this season. Been 14 years since their last conference ground for Texas. 24 <laughs> years since they last had a losing season for OU. Had it last year. Doesn't get any easier when you leave the Big 12 and head to the SEC. We're headed to break. Coming up next year on College Football Live, we'll play a little over-under for the 2023 season. Are the LSU Tigers a double-digit win team in that SEC West? Media Days, day one, wrapping up in Nashville. We heard from three teams today, LSU, Texas A&M, and Missouri. Focus on those three for our daily over-under win total challenge. These numbers provided by Caesars Sportsbook. Over-under, let's start LSU, Greg. The number is nine and a half regular season wins. Over or under? I'm going over, and it's largely because I'm expecting a win in week one against Florida State. So they get that one. I feel real confident. If they drop that first one against the Knolls, that number's going to be really difficult to get to, looking at how unique and difficult that schedule really is. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I'm expecting them, you know, if they win that game, I do expect them to drop one to one of the Mississippi teams and then at Alabama. But I do got them over. I got them at 10 regular season wins. Yeah, you can split Bama, Florida State. You're in pretty good shape to hit that over. All right, Texas A&M. The number from Caesars, eight and a half regular season wins, Greg. The reason why I'm taking the over is because that number feels crazy high, right? Wow. What is Vegas just begging us to do? <laughs> They're begging us to take the under. I will not do it. I think they win at Miami. I think they handle Arkansas on a neutral site. Bama, 
in College Station is the toughest game on the schedule, but I also think that's the toughest game for Alabama. At Tennessee is a tricky one. That one I think is very difficult, and then at LSU. But I'm thinking 9-3 and three for the Aggies. I'm going to go, because you can't win a half a game, I'm going to go <laughs> under. I think at Miami is a loss for them. And also Alabama, I don't think they beat Alabama. At Tennessee, tough. At Ole Miss, tough. These are the games that I'm looking at. Who's the real Texas A&M? I would love for them to please stand up this year. <laughs> then I might be wrong, but I think I'm under. I, I'm with you. I think they got to start 4-0 to get to that number. Uh, we'll see. Let's go. <laughs> let's end here with Missouri. The number is six and a half regular season wins. Over or under, GMAC? I'm taking the under. I do think the defense will continue to be good, but I don't think they'll be as good as they were a year ago. New offensive coordinator Kirby Moore came in and said, hey, we're going to run some tempo. What does that do? It hurts your defense. And if your defense is the star of the show, then might be difficult, I think, to get to seven wins. I think the first month is actually sneaky brutal because there are games on there that you'd think are locks, no doubt wins, like Memphis at Vanderbilt. Those are not locks. Those are not guaranteed W's. If you can get four and one your first five, you're in great shape. But I think that's going to be very difficult to get to. Well, Greg, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm calling it over. I think they sweep the first five. And then we're going to, you know, we're going to Hail Mary the last seven games, <laughs> hoping a prayer. I think at Kentucky, you can knock them off. I mean, Georgia, probably not. South Carolina at home. You can knock off Florida. Florida's probably not exactly where they want to be either. I think you can get to that seven or eight win team if you are Missouri this year, especially with the addition of Kirby Moore on the off as the offensive coordinator. Last four seasons, six, five, six, and six. Those are the regular season win totals last four years for Missouri. Going to be a, an ultimate fight to get to that win total. Promo, ultimate fighter continues to heat up inside and outside the octagon with Tim Chandler's, Team Chandler's veterans. Undefeated after seven weeks against Team McGregor's prospects. Going for the first clean sweep in the Ultimate Fighter history. Eighth episode premieres tomorrow, 10 Eastern on ESPN. New episodes air every Tuesday on ESPN at that time and are available immediately following on ESPN+. the field to win the SEC can't answer it not enough time too dumb <laughs> no 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 we don't no no <laughs> which one are we looking at green oh. looks strong I can't tell Is he talking to us? No. Yeah. Uh -oh. No, I was talking to. Hold on. No, 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 no. Talk one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. We don't have their schedule up, do we? Oh, we're not vamping. Never mind. Never mind.
Tomorrow's schedule from SEC Media Days in Nashville, 10.05 Eastern. Vandy head coach Clark Lee just signed a three-year contract extension. At 11.30, it's the back-to-back champ, Kirby Smart of the Georgia Bulldogs. Then at 2 Eastern, Hugh Freeze at the mic, first year at Auburn. And at 3.25 and not a second later, it's Mississippi State's Zach Arnett. Full coverage on SEC Network from Nashville. ESPN Analytics has Georgia as the favorite to repeat as SEC champions with Bama not too far behind. 49% chance, according to the FPI, to win Southeastern Conference. All right. What do we think, guys? Georgia or the field to win the SEC, Roman? I'm going to take the field just because I get better odds, but (laughs) clearly Georgia's earned the respect, and I'm probably going to be dead wrong by the end of the year. (laughs) I, I, I guess just for argument's sake, I'll take Georgia. <laughs> Why not? You just, look at, you just look at their schedule, man. It's very gettable. You do have a road trip it's to cake. Tennessee on November 18th. That is very difficult, but that game was not very competitive last year. I think the gap between them and everybody else in the East is significant. So I think Georgia in Atlanta, a familiar environment, as the SEC champs will be a heavy favorite, likely against the SEC West champs. So why not? I'll take Georgia. Yeah, you sound like a real Georgia fan because you're pumping up the schedule when you know it's cake. No, right? it's it's very gettable. <laughs> I said it's gettable. It's a, it's a very manageable schedule under the circumstances, but part of that has to do with the fact that Georgia's legit. Like, guess what? Georgia's not on Georgia's schedule, so that would, you know, if they were playing themselves, maybe it'd be a little more t- difficult. I, I have them penciled in into the playoffs. Soft pencil. Soft penciled wow. in already. Wow. Tycoon. Number two pencil, uh, soft-wise, for Georgia getting in there. They're going to be 10-0 and going to Knoxville. Let's be honest. They're going to be 10-0 and going to Knoxville. Does it matter who the starting quarterback is at Georgia, GMAC? Yes, very much. But I actually really like what I've seen from Carson Beck already. He's a veteran, and he's got really, really talented weapons. If it's one thing we know, you know you can't play quarterback by yourself. So when you have really talented dudes around you, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah. I, I would love to see the combination. Who's going to make the right play on third down? Yeah. One hour was nearly not enough. Got another day tomorrow. College Football Live, 3 Eastern, ESPN 2. See you then.